0: Welcome to Calvary Christian Church's podcast. We're located on the North Shore of Boston and are committed to being a balanced ministry with a personal touch. Each week, one of our pastors will deliver biblical encouragement and practical application tips for everyday faith living. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy the message.
1: Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Brigham. Thank you, worship team. God bless you. You may be seated. Just turn to your neighbor and say, you know, I just got a good feeling about the sermon today. I just got a good (laughs) feeling about the sermon today. Amen. Amen. Welcome again. one and all. So good to have you here. Good to be back from vacation. Pastor Vinny, thank you for an awesome, awesome men's weekend last weekend and uh, just a great, great weekend with all of our men and and uh, just honoring them and uh, appreciate so much Pastor Vinny and his ministry, his leadership to our men's ministry. Uh, you know, I, I want to say he's a man's man, but if I say that, you know, it's 2022. You got to give all these qualifications. Well, what do you mean by that? And blah, 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 blah. so I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say, you know, he's a man's man, but, but, uh, but he, he's a man's man. And uh, <laughs> we, we appreciate we appreciate his leadership with our ministry. We really do. Good to be back from vacation. Uh, many of you thought we were at our traditional Outer Banks uh, spot this year, but uh, having, uh, having grandchildren now and a, a daughter, firstborn daughter, who is a Disney travel agent, uh, we ended up in Orlando in the middle of June. Uh, you know, and I got to tell you, I am too old for 96 degree temperatures, uh, like a thousand percent humidity, uh, standing in lines and sweating and then getting rained on and then walking into air conditioning. I got a wicked bad head cold uh, before I got back and, uh, but I've recovered from that, tested negative for COVID. I'm good. I'm good. All right. But, uh, but uh, it was a great week. a great, uh, great vacation. But I, I told the kids, I said, if this is going to become our new annual vacation uh, spot, then we got to move it to winter because I, I will not survive uh, uh, this kind of uh, weather, this kind of heat. But it's good to, be, good to be back. If you were not here two weeks ago when I brought the message on our church expansion vision, uh, I encourage you to go back and watch that message online, the June, June 12th uh, message. And uh, there are... Uh, commitment cards available if you'd like to make a commitment to help finance that uh, that vision and see it come to pass won't be very many weeks from now things will get started going pretty pretty quickly on that and uh, young adults just a reminder tonight is in another encounter your monthly encounter service tonight for all of our young adults. Well, I want to encourage you today. We're going to be, I anticipate the Lord willing, going into Romans chapter 12, probably spending the whole uh, rest of the summer in the 12th chapter of Romans. And um, today's somehow connected. You know, Romans 12:1 starts out, therefore, I beseech you, brothers and sisters, uh, and therefore means that here's a, here, the, the rest of what we're going to say is connected to what has come before. And and today really is a therefore message on this is why we should rejoice. We should rejoice, therefore, because of, and I'm going to give you seven reasons, and I know some of you have already had a heart attack looking at the outline, but they go very quickly. The points go very quickly. In fact, let me help you here. The more amens I receive, the quicker the sermon goes. (laughs) It's that simple. So you decide how many times I got to stop and say, hello, can I hear an amen? You know, so our text is found in, 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 uh, in, in Zephaniah. Now we won't ask you how many of you know right where Zephaniah is in your Bible, but Zephaniah 3:14 to 17, it's a great passage of scripture. Uh, here's what we read there. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. Think of it. He's turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord, your God, is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you in his love. He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Hallelujah. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this awesome opportunity we have once again this week to gather around your eternal and almighty word. Holy Spirit, come. Teach us what no man can teach us. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Lord, uh, hearts to receive the depth of that which you desire to teach us in these moments together now. Lord, hide your servant behind the cross And may Jesus Christ be high and lifted up, we pray. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. 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 A lot of things should distinguish us as Christians. Time would not allow, of course, to list all of them. But when we think about uh, what should characterize Christians, children of God, what are some of the things that come to, to mind? I'll let you help me preach the sermon today. What would those things be? Things that characterize a Christian. Just yell it out. Joy? Well, that's what the sermon's about. All right. Now, now, no cheating. You've already looked at the title. Yes. Joy. Okay. That's my part of the sermon. Give me some other stuff. Yes. All of that. All of that. Okay. But uh, uh, when, I, when I think of things that characterize Christians, uh, number one, I think of unusual or extraordinary love. John 13, 34, 35, Jesus said, no one, uh, this is how uh, men and women will know that you're my disciples by your love for each other. And then unusual or extraordinary peace. Jesus tells us he gives us a peace that passes understanding. And then, and of course this is right, the beginning aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. Then there is this extraordinary joy. A joy that sustains us through good times and bad. 1 Peter 1, 8, we read, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled, we're supposed to be filled, with an inexpressible and glorious joy. The old King James Version says, Joy unspeakable and full of joy glory. And of course, Nehemiah eight ten that great passage that reminds us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Thank you, Pastor Vinny, for working on the AC. I was sweating up a storm in the first service. I didn't know if it was just me, but uh, Pastor Vinny's going to make it nice and cool in here. Like so many things in Christianity, there are far too many of us who fail to take advantage of all that God has made available to us. And the joy of the Lord is an example. Uh, too often I find myself, even working with pastors, you know, I, I spend time with pastors just about every week, and they're often discouraged. They're often kind of down in the mully grubs, and, and and you know, uh, I've got to remind them that we have someone to rejoice in today. Hello? You, 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 you know, and, and pastors are frustrated, well, you know, why didn't... Why are so many people not showing up in church? And, and I encourage them, why don't you rejoice in who does show up in church, right? You know, rejoice in who does show up in, in church. Don't let the enemy steal your joy. And so I want to speak to you today about the reason for our rejoicing. And, uh, and we're looking at the, and we're hearing from Zephaniah, this Old Testament minor prophet, story of a man who preached and prophesied during a time when God's people were still vacillating. Still vacillating in their commitment to God. A time when the people had turned their backs on God, but not their faces. In other words, they tried to keep their faces turned toward God, even though their bodies and hearts had turned away from Him. Moving in a direction away from God. Today, we would call it playing church. Now, thankfully, we don't have anybody in Calvary that does that, but other churches have this problem of people just playing church. Zephaniah warns the people of God's coming judgment if they do not repent. But then he also describes for us this beautiful picture that we just read of God's people in right relationship with him and this picture of great, great rejoicing. It's a story that has been partially fulfilled through Jesus' reign in our lives and one that will ultimately be fulfilled in the age to come. But loved ones, if we get these truths down, if we get these reasons for rejoicing down, it will sustain us, it will strengthen us, and help us keep a joyful attitude, not an Eeyore attitude. Now, Eeyore was around with Winnie the Pooh when our daughters were little, and now that we're kind of focusing with our grandchildren on on the, you know, Winnie the Pooh's still around, and Eeyore is still around. And he hasn't gotten a better attitude after all these years. Eeyore is still a downer. The glass is always half empty. The cloud is always part the, the sky is always partly cloudy. Well, well, uh, God's word has an antidote for that Eeyore spirit or Eeyore attitude today. And and when I when people kind of do the Eeyore thing with me, I take them to Zephaniah 3, and here's, here's how we help them out. And I give them seven reasons for rejoicing. Number one, are you ready? Fasten your seatbelt. Here we go. Number one. Number one reason for rejoicing is because the Lord commands it. What a, what a, imagine that. To think that God will want us to do something just because he tells us to do it. Just because he tells, parents, some of you do the same thing with your kids. When they say, why? You say, because I told you so. Because I told you so, right here in the first verse of our text today, God has a word of instruction to His children, and He gives us four specific admonitions to a life of rejoicing. Zephaniah three fourteen. Look at it with me. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud. I, I kind of, uh, I don't know how do you shout not aloud. I mean, shouting is loud, right? Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. Let's see what we've got here. Number one, we got singing. Number two, we got shouting. Number three, we got an admonition to be glad. And number four, to rejoice with all your heart. You know, those who are on the platform during the worship service looking out at some people, uh, they, we see some people who are worshiping with all their heart and we see other people. You know, you, you, you know what I'm saying. And, you know, it, 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 uh, it's, uh, it's an opportunity for those on the platform to persevere in the Lord in leading and worship when not everyone, you know, not everybody you bump into is going to be ready to worship or, or, or in the mood to worship. And so uh, don't let that discourage. You, you just press on. You just press on and do what the Lord says to do. You know, when your sports team wins, you're jumping up and down and shouting. We have someone who's done a whole lot more for us than any sports team. His name is Jesus, and he deserves all the glory and praise and honor we can give him. Shout! We serve a great and mighty God. I mean, after all, do you think God would tell us to do anything that wasn't good for us? Of course not. And the list of ways goes on and on far beyond what we have just in Zephaniah. Psalm 47, verse 1. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Listen to Psalm 149. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with timbrel or tambourine and harp. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory or salvation. Let his Faithful people rejoice in this honor. Rejoice in this honor. Did you catch that? And sing for joy on their beds. And let me tell you, the best time or the most important time to rejoice on your bed is your sick bed. That's when you need to be rejoicing the most. You want to get well over your sickness? Start rejoicing in the Lord and who you have, who we have, this great honor of rejoicing in the Lord. Psalm 150 is a whole psalm about using instruments to praise God. How about raising our hands? Zephaniah 3:16, "Do not let your hands hang limp." Psalm 63, 4, I will praise you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. Psalm 134, verse 2, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, 8, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. The interesting thing about joy is that so often it is described or defined as an inner reality. And that's true as As uh, compared with happiness, which is often thought to be sort of the outward, more superficial things in life. And yet the clear instruction of God's word is that our joy is to be expressed. Joy is meant to be expressed. In fact, we noted, I highlighted here in Psalm 149 verse 5, that this rejoicing is an honor. It is our honor to rejoice in our mighty God and our Savior. Yeah, well, I don't have to do it in public. Well, you grumble and complain in public. Uh, I I mean, come on, come on. Uh, You you don't hesitate to tell everybody how bad life is treating you. Why don't you take a chance that God knows what's good for you and why don't you commit at least to spending an equal amount of time rejoicing in the Lord as you do crying about how bad things are. Thank you, Pastor Tim. That's good preaching. And and just for the record, you know, people say, I don't don't have to do this. You don't have to do anything. You can rob yourself of as many of the blessings of God as you choose to. But many of the biblical admonitions to praise and worship and rejoicing, by the way, they're given in the context of public worship. You say, what's that about? It's about humbling yourself. It's about humbling yourself and forgetting about what other people think or, and just worshiping God and giving him your all. That's why I gave you that reference from Psalm 134 too about lifting your hands in the sanctuary kind of forces you to decide if you're going to be a biblical Christian or not. Yes. Folks, listen, this isn't a contest to see who can jump the highest or shout the loudest. It's an admonition to recognize that we have a reason for rejoicing. And maybe just maybe he gives us the instruction with the hope that we'll be obedient in the process of our obedience come to discover that truly the joy of the Lord is our strength. Yes. I want to tell you something you already know? Life life is not easy. We're going to face difficult circumstances in life, downright depressing circumstances. But I want you to know that God has a divine prescription for your depression. It's the greatest prescription. It's the greatest treatment for what ails you. It's called rejoicing in the Lord therapy. And I want you to know it works. It really, really works. Which is why the Apostle Paul, writing, from, uh, writing to the Philippian church from a dark, damp, rat-infested Roman prison cell, writes in Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord. When? Always. Always. I will say it again, just so you don't miss it. Rejoice. He didn't say pray about it. He didn't say think about it. He didn't say don't do it unless you feel like it, because, you know, you don't want to be a hypocrite. He said just do it. Regardless of where you're at or what you're facing, you can always rejoice in the Lord. The Old Testament prophet Habakkuk was given a vision from God revealing his impending judgment upon the people of Judah who were to be invaded by the Babylonians. But listen to how Habakkuk faced that crisis. Listen to how he handled the bad news. And tell me if you and I can do this. Habakkuk 3.16, he writes, I heard my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet... I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Look at verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on to the heights. How did Habakkuk find the strength to go on? He rejoiced in the Lord and discovered the truth of Nehemiah eight ten that the joy of the Lord truly is our strength. Your number one reason for rejoicing in the Lord? Because he tells us to. You say, well, that's not enough for me. Okay, I'll give you another reason. Number two. Here we go. Number two reason for our rejoicing is the Lord has taken away our punishment. Look at Zephaniah 3.15. The Lord has taken away your punishment. I mean, think about that for a minute. Those of us born and raised in church, we don't really appreciate this reality. I've lived most of my life with the understanding that I'm on my way to heaven. I accepted Christ at nine years of age, gave my life to Christ, been following him ever since. I haven't really had to think much about the punishment of hell. In fact, the horror of hell is really beyond my comprehension. As difficult as it may be to imagine how wonderful heaven is, I think it's even harder to get a real picture of how horrible hell is. Jesus tried to help us understand it. He described it on a number of occasions. In Matthew eight twelve, he speaks of those who will be thrown into outer, utter darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Mark nine forty three. He describes hell as a place where the fire never goes out. In Matthew twenty five forty one, he tells us about the judgment or punishment that will be rendered to those who had been hypocrites when he will say, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is what we deserve, folks. Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. Romans 32 tells us of those who know God's righteous decrees, but sin anyway, and then goes on to say, those people are deserving of death. Romans in each of those cases is talking about spiritual death, a death that brings about a separation from God, a separation that finds its fulfillment. Ultimate fulfillment in Revelation 2015. Look at it. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. You know, for anyone bashful about witnessing to others about Jesus, all God has to do is really give you a, a real vision of hell. And that ought to be, I mean, the horror of hell and eternal separation from God. That ought to change your attitude and passion for witnessing to others in a hurry. Amen. Amen. How many know God has always found a way to close the gap, though, to close that separation? Why? Because our Heavenly Father does not want to be separated from us. And He's always been at work trying to draw us from our sinful state back into a relationship with Him. But there's there's always had to be someone or something to receive the punishment for our sins. In the Old Testament, during the time when Israel was wandering in the wilderness, that something was called the scapegoat where the high priest would take a goat and would confess all the sins of Israel over the goat and then send the goat out into the wilderness. Uh, Metaphorically, as it were, symbolically, as it were, carrying the sins of Israel out into the wilderness with that goat, never to return was called a scapegoat in the new testament something became a someone that scapegoat became a lamb a lamb that john the baptist described in john 129 as jesus christ was approaching him from a distance john the baptist said behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world thank god for jesus took away our punishment Take you back to Zephaniah 3.15 again, just to emphasize one more time who it is that has taken away our punishment. Look at it there. The Lord has taken, the Lord has taken your punishment. You see, it was a job that nobody else could adequately accomplish. There was no other blood that was sinless blood. There was no other blood that was perfect blood. There was no other sacrifice that could be sufficient. And he didn't just take it away by loading it up on a truck and having someone drive it away no sir isaiah 53 5 tells us he was pierced or wounded for our transgressions he was crushed or bruised for our iniquity the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds or stripes we are healed loved ones it's you and i that should have climbed Mount Calvary. It's you and I that should have hung and died on a cross. It's you and I that deserved that punishment, but it is Jesus Christ who took our place. Why? Well, John 3, 16 still says it, uh, says it best because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believeth in him should not have to perish, should not have to be punished, should not have to go to hell, but have eternal life. The Apostle Paul described it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him, that is Jesus Christ, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Folks, if that isn't reason enough for some pretty extraordinary and enduring rejoicing, then I don't know what is. Jesus said in Luke 10, 20, he said, Don't rejoice because spirits submit to you. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Psalm 103, verse 10, thank God he's a heavenly father who does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. He has taken our punishment away because he has taken our punishment for us. Pretty good reason for rejoicing. Say, I don't know, pastor, it's not enough. Well, let me give you a third reason, all right? All right, for that stubborn Eeyore among us today. Here's another reason for our rejoicing, number three, because the Lord has turned back our enemy. Look at Zephaniah 3.15. He, the Lord, has turned back your enemy. Hallelujah. 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 He has taken away our punishment, and now we read he's turned back our enemy. And again, it it takes time for this to sink in. I know we think we have a lot of enemies, but after all is said and done, it basically keeps coming back to one, doesn't it? It comes back to one enemy. We're warned about him in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be alert and of sober mind, Peter writes. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Thank God for a firm faith, a faith that is in Christ that is strong enough to resist the enemy. You see, our enemy, the devil, he comes with a threefold plan for every one of our lives Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. The devil's work is stealing, killing and destroying. And the communities that you and I live in almost daily face the reality that Satan is still busy at work. The reason for our rejoicing today, however, is found in the realization of 1 John 3, 8, which tells us that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Now, I want you to know, church, that Jesus Christ accomplished that when he came and died and suffered on the cross and there he, he, he nailed your sins and my sins to the cross. And it says he destroyed, the, he disarmed the evil rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross of Christ. Consequently, we are exhorted in Colossians 1, 11, be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Look at verse 12. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's been defeated. He's been turned back. That doesn't mean the devil stopped fighting. Of course, he's still fighting. And uh, one of the best ways that he fights, uh, best tactics or most effective tactics uh, to try to convince you that you can't do it is is to tell you a lie after lie after lie. He is the father of lies. He's gonna tell you you can't live the Christian life. He's gonna tell you that this Christianity stuff is a bunch of emotionalism. He's gonna tell you he still has power to control you. And when you hear those negative, demonic thoughts coming into your mind, you're going to take every one of those thoughts captive, Second Corinthians 10, 5, and you're going to start rejoicing. And as you rejoice, you're going to start quoting Scripture to the enemy. Like Matthew 28, 18, where Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Luke 10, 19, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. You're going to let the enemy know that you believe the word of God as recorded in 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Amen. Church, we can rejoice. For the Lord has turned back our enemy. And I don't trivialize for a moment the power or influence of Satan and his forces. They are very real, they come to attack us in so many ways. For millions, the attack is through drugs or alcohol. For millions of others, the attack is through sexual immorality or perversion or pornography and so many other gross addictions. For millions more, that attack is more on the mind or emotions, leading people into a life of confusion, depression, mental instability, or the pursuit of happiness through people, pleasures, or possessions. And I can tell you that none of us, hear me today, church, none of us is equal to the challenge in and of ourselves. We can resist the devil, though. As 1 Peter 5, 2 tells us, we must resist him in the faith. And that faith is in Jesus. He is the one who will turn your enemy away, so rejoice in him. James 4, 7 tells us, submit yourselves into God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Yeah, there'll be times. There'll be times when you think, I can't fight anymore. But make that the time you begin to rejoice in the promise that the Lord has turned back your enemy. That's what David did. Psalm 18, 17, he writes, he rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. Church, we have a reason to rejoice today. Not only has the Lord commanded, he's taken our punishment and he has turned our enemy away. Number four, number four. Somebody's like, I'm not there yet, pastor. I'm not ready to rejoice yet. All right, all right. We'll, We'll do number four. Reason number 4 for our rejoicing because the Lord is with us. Amen. The Lord is with us. Twice in this passage. He tells us this, look at look at Zephaniah 3:15 to 17. Here's what we read. The Lord, the King of Israel, is what? Uh, we want this to go quicker now, okay? So work work with me here. The Lord, the King of Israel, is what? Amen. Is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang lip. Verse 17, the Lord your God is with you, you, the mighty warrior who saves. Reason number four for our rejoicing today, the the Lord is with us. 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 In a world where husbands are leaving wives and wives are leaving husbands and parents are abandoning children and children are deserting their parents, isn't it good to know that there's one who's never going to leave you? There's one who's with you every step of the way, every moment of every day. In a world that is filled with lonely people, you and I have the promise that we will never, ever be alone. It's not a matter of just anybody being with with us. It's the Lord who's with us. It's the Lord who's with us. To our Jewish friends who might be among us today or listening, watching online, I note that it is the Lord, the King of Israel, who is with us. Who is that King of Israel? John one forty nine. Nathaniel, a true Israelite, declares of Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And in John twelve thirteen, we see Jesus entering Jerusalem to the shouts and cheers of the people, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. My prayers is for every one of our Jewish friends to come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, for he is the Messiah, the one and only true King of Israel. Now the promise is that the Lord is with us. That promise is supposed to have a very specific positive effect on us. Zephaniah 3.15 says, Never again will you fear any harm. That's supposed to be the result of him being with us. Never again will you fear any harm. Uh, Zephaniah 3.16, do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. Yeah. Ever see someone, you know, just kind how's it going? Well, You know, they, they get that Eeyore thing going. <laughs> Don't let your hands hang limp. Why no fear? Because Zephaniah 3.17 says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. If the Lord is your God, and that's the most important if question that needs to be answered by some who are listening to me today, but if the Lord is your God, then he has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So that as we read in Hebrews thirteen six, so that we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? What can mere mortals do to me? And that folks is another wonderful reason for rejoicing. We're up to number five. I told you to go quick if you give me a lot of amens. (laughs) Number five, number five reason for our rejoicing. The Lord takes great delight in us. This is amazing. Zephaniah 3.17 says, He will take great delight in you. The Lord takes great delight in his children. Now, it may be hard for some to believe, But we read it again in Psalm 149, verse four, for the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory or salvation for nearly 30 years. uh, Well, for more than 30 years, you've listened to me brag about our, our two daughters, uh, how much we love them, how proud we are of them. Thankful to God for the amazing young women, uh, wives and uh, mothers that they have uh, now become And now, of course, for the last three years, you've been listening to me uh, brag about my granddaughter and more recently my grandson. And rightfully so. I mean, come on. I brag about them, not simply because they are the most beautiful and intelligent babies ever known to mankind. (laughs) But I make a big deal about them because they're mine. Because they are mine. And loved ones, I want you to know that you have a heavenly father who takes great delight in you because you are his. You are his. Regardless of whether or not you've ever heard your parents taking delight in you. I had people texting me after the first service. Pastor Tim, that's my favorite passage in in all the Bible. I never had parents. I never had a mother or father who blessed me, or told me they loved me, or encouraged me, or believed in me. You've got someone who believes in you today. It is your heavenly father. Oh, and he not just believes in you. He takes great delight in you. He loves you with an everlasting, unconditional love, and he takes great delight in you. And the fact that you mess up every once in a while does not change his love and adoration of you one tiny bit. You know, babies are born and mothers and fathers get around that baby. Grandfathers and grandmothers too. And we coo and make funny noises and baby noises and goofy noises. We wouldn't want the whole world seeing us do. But, but I mean, we just act like, like, like silly kids almost. And, and, you know, and and for what? I mean, the baby hasn't done anything. It's just been born. That's all it's done. You know, the baby hasn't done anything, but we think it's the greatest thing in the world. Because it's their baby. They take great delight in it. It's theirs. And oh, how our heavenly father delights in his children. He looks at us. He looks at us, smiles down upon us. He calls over Abraham and he says, hey, hey, look at this guy down here, Rick. Isn't he something special? And and Abraham says, well, what has he done? He's mine. He's mine. Moses, come over here. Look look at this gal, Rachel. She's something special. What has she done? She's mine. Listen, we'll do lots of stuff if Jesus is with us, but, but we're loved because we are his, not because of what we did or didn't do. Oh, he loves us. He loves us. He takes great delight in us. He created you. He was crucified for you, and he takes the great delight in caring for you. Number six, as the musicians come, we'll pretend like we're quitting. Somebody's starting to get ready to, somebody, there's a couple of eors. We're, we're, we're getting them to move a little bit. You know, they're not quite there yet. We, we got, there must be a reason God gave us seven reasons. Not just so Pastor could preach a long sermon. Reason number six for our rejoicing. Number six, here it is. Because he will quiet us with his love, is what Zephaniah says. Zephaniah 3.17, he will quiet you with his love. As one rendering puts it, he will hush up his crying people with an overwhelming demonstration of his love. And the picture here is of a mother or father picking up their crying child, holding them close to their breast, whispering sweet and precious promises so that the child is calmed and stilled from his crying and unrest. Listen, some of you need to learn not only to rejoice, but you need to learn to rest in his unchanging love for you. Just rest in him. Rest in him today. He will quiet you with his love. Number seven, number seven. Here we are, we've reached the end. And now the is happy just because we're at the end, right? You're right. Pastor Brigham, help me out here. Number seven reason for our rejoicing is because he's rejoicing over us. We are rejoicing over him because he is rejoicing over us. Zephaniah 3.17, look at it. He will rejoice over you with singing. The picture of what is happening here is referred to in Isaiah 62.5 where we read as a bridegroom, think of this, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. So will your God rejoice over you. Can you believe that? Can you wrap your brain around that? Again, we see it in Isaiah 65:19 where we read that God says, "I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people." I don't know how to even begin to tell you this, but the Hebrew language there for rejoice, remember what we said back in Zephaniah 3:14, that stuff about jumping up and down. Well, you can believe what you want, but the language here seems to suggest that our God is rejoicing in heaven over his children. And as he rejoices, he is singing and jumping up and down. What do you think all that thunder's about, huh? Jumping and singing, spinning around as a bridegroom who delights in his bride. Why should we be rejoicing today? If our almighty and sovereign God can rejoice over us, singing a love song over us and singing it loudly with exuberance, is there any question that our hearts should not want to respond to him with an enthusiastic love song as well? Let us respond to him today with a love song. Let us sing and dance and rejoice before the one who delights in us so completely. Would you bow your heads and hearts with me for a closing word of prayer? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Done in two minutes. Would you ask the Holy Spirit today, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to say to me in this message? Maybe the question for some today is, why aren't you rejoicing? And there's a number of possible reasons, a number of possible answers to that question. Maybe you don't have the joy of the Lord because you don't have the Lord in your life today. You don't know what it is to experience forgiveness of sins. You don't know what it is to have your punishment taken away and your enemy turned aside. Why not experience that today by inviting Jesus Christ into your heart and life? For others, you've not followed the instructions of our Lord and His Word to give expression of that joy by rejoicing in the Lord. You miss the joy for the lack of experience. You miss the joy for the lack of obedience. Maybe you've allowed the hardships or disappointments in life to distract you or cause you to lose sight of all that you have to rejoice in today in a relationship with Christ. Commit to a life of rejoicing today. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. No one looking around. I want to give everyone within the hearing of my voice an opportunity right now to say yes to Jesus. If you'd say, Jesus, today I want to open up my heart and life to you. Jesus, I, I, I need you to forgive me of my sins, become Lord of my life. Today, I surrender my heart and life to you. If that's you, I'd like to pray with you or for you. Promise I'll not call you out or embarrass you, but I want to give you this opportunity to say yes to Jesus. If that's you, would you just slip a hand up right now and put it down that I might pray with you and for you. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir. Anyone else? One, two, three. I'm looking across the ground level. God bless you, ma'am, over here on my left. Your right. Thank you. Four. Anyone else? Lift that hand up, real high. That God bless you, buddy. I see your hand. Thank you. Near the back. Amen. Amen. God bless you, ma'am, in the back. I see your hand. Thank you. I'm just on the ground level right now. One, two, three, four, five, six. God bless you over here on my right. Your left. I see your hand. Thank you. Seven. Anyone else on the ground level? You'd say, "Today, Jesus. Today, Jesus. I want this joy." I want to know forgiveness of sin. I want to have it taken away. I want my enemy rebuked and and, and turned away. Anybody else? Up to the balcony, anybody in the balcony, you'd say, today, Jesus, today, I surrender my heart and life to you. Anybody in the balcony, I see your hand all the way in the back. God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else in the balcony? Anyone else in the balcony right now online, you say, Pastor Tim, you can't see me. Of course I can't, but Jesus sees you. And there's something about that actual action, that step of faith of just lifting that hand. Lift that hand right now and say, Jesus, I surrender my heart and life to you. Father God, we thank you for these raised hands. Raised hands that represent open hearts today to the work of your love and grace and mercy. Lord, to bring into these hearts and lives not only the forgiveness of sin but the taking away of their punishment, the turning away of their enemy, and an infusion of joy unspeakable that is full of glory as they begin to enter into the greatest joy known to mankind, the joy of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Seal it upon their hearts today, we pray, in the name of Jesus. And Lord, for the rest of us today, we've been grumpy old Christians. God, deliver us. God, help us to return to the joy of our salvation. And Lord, you've given us seven reasons today, one reason for every day of the week to rejoice in your goodness, your faithfulness, your blessings to our lives. God, help us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hallelujah.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on Calvary's podcast. Be sure to visit our website, calvarychristian.church, to stay up to date with events, sermons, and ways you and your family can get connected within our community. We hope to see you in person or online at one of our weekend services. Once again, thanks for listening in today, and we look forward to having you join us next time.